guys. Welcome to Slash Report. Uh, this is Prue, and I'm joined, as ever, by my partner in crime, MK. What up? We're both, like, stupid hungover today, guys. Yeah, although, like, my hangover is at least earned. You, I, I don't, what, what happened with you last night? I went out, I ate a lot of soon tofu in, like, the Korean part of town, uh, and a lot of baked goods, and then I stayed up really late talking with the wolf pack, and then I passed out. Proud of you, bro. Yeah, I'm a champion. I went to a party that started at, like, one, (laughs) and ended in me, like, wandering the back alleys of Southwark with, like, a flock of married dudes and went to another bar. It was bad. Yeah, you live bad, but I love it. (laughs) It was fun. It was really, really fun. I had a great time, but, like, I am so fried right now. (laughs) I think we're both pretty fried. Like, if anyone ever doubted the soul bond, we both woke up this morning and we're just like, eh... So fucking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like lying still, drinking water since. Eating ice cream sandwiches in bed. Okay, that part I didn't do, but still. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, MK, what is the exciting topic we're talking about this week? Elementary. Elementary! So in case you've somehow been living under a fanish controversy rock um, and completely missed this entire thing, Elementary is CBS's own Sherlock Holmes. I don't... Like modern AU. Pardon? Modern AU. Yeah, like, it wouldn't really be like a reboot. It's just like a modern Sherlock Holmes story. Yeah. Um, And part of the reason there was controversy is because Johnny Lee Miller, who uh, is English, was cast as Sherlock Holmes, and he's like fairly infamous from being in Frankenstein with Benedict Cumberbatch in London. Um, And Lucy Liu was cast as Joan Watson. Which, like, finally. You know, like, finally a Lady Watson. Yeah. Though, okay, at the party I was at last night, everyone was like, you know what would be even better? What? If Lucy Lawless were playing Sherlock. Oh, holy shit balls! Right? That would be great. Like, that would be so awesome. The greatest thing of all time. It would be so baller. No, but to, before we get off on complete <laughs> <laughs> tangents already, yep. we should probably talk about the actual setup in Sherlock and what we thought of the pilot. Yeah, Um. so I watched the pilot before you and I was like, you know what? I liked it. It's not bad. There's some problems, but like I'm definitely yeah. going to keep watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited for new episodes. the The problem that everyone was worried about is still shitty, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> so the setup for those of you who are curious is it is a modern day Sherlock AU. It is not set in London. This is a version of Sherlock Holmes who had worked with Scotland Yard but had some sort of drug-related meltdown, was locked up in um, rehab by a father, not his brother, and then moved to New York City and is resuming his detective, consulting detective work with the NYPD, and the detective that he works with is Gregson. Which I thought was really interesting, right? Because you're, like, expecting, I don't know, like, a take on Lestrade. I suppose, but I think the problem is, is that... Lestrade is so classic. I mean, like, Lestrade is the best-known Scotland Yard detective. Yeah. He was never a Scotland Yard detective. And if you wanted someone who was not... I mean, like, I think the problem is that they were not trying to... Not a problem, but I think a wise decision was that they weren't trying to, like, make Sherlock Holmes American. They wanted him to be an obvious transplant. And if you do that, you can't just take all of the trappings. 
of the original London version of the story and shift them over to the U.S. So, I mean, you have to have Watson because that's required. And if you're going to do a Sherlock Holmes story, you're obviously required to involve Sherlock. Mm -hmm. But if everything else from the story is and bring them to New York and make them New York based, it just sort of, it would be, it would seem disingenuous. Yeah, no, that's valid. I, I like that it's different. It's not quite the same. Um, and, it, you know, it, it feels like fan fiction. It does. Like, in a big way. <laughs> so, okay, he is a former consulting detective with Scotland Yard, currently consulting with the NYPD, works with Gregson. Joan Watson is a former surgeon hired by Sherlock's father to be his sober companion for six weeks, and they live in this, like, run-down derelict brownstone in I don't fucking know where. Um, bees on the roof. Motherfucking bees. Bees on the roof, and there's, like, honey leaking down into the building and things like that. And they work on, like, a case which is, like, as forgettable as all other procedurals ever. Hilariously, for the Good Wife Watchers, Owen, like, awesome, hilarious, gets Jackie drunk brother Owen is the um, victim's husband this week. And he's so, like, serious and kind of, like, morose-looking for most of it. It took me a little while to recognize him. I know. he play And he plays a lovely menace in this episode. Yeah, he's creepy and serious, and you're like, oh, dude, get the fuck away from me. Whereas, like, if you saw him on Good Wife two minutes later, you'd be like, bro, let's drink! He's, like, the most charming asshole ever! Get Alicia Stone and tell her to fuck Will some more! Right? Um, so he's apparently a very versatile and good actor. Obviously, spoilers, guys. I mean, so far, we haven't really spoiled anything, but, like, as we continue, serious plot spoilers are going to... All the spoilers in the world. Yeah, are gonna come up. So, that is the basic setup. There is a plot, um... But I think that that's less important than kind of addressing whether or not you think that the setup, like the way they've worked this, is going to work as a sustainable TV show. Well, the trick is they have this like six week timeline, right? Yeah. And I'm like, what are you going to do after six weeks? Because Joan needs money and Sherlock doesn't care about money. Yeah. I think uh, the six weeks is a really good artificial reason for why they are stuck together, the Stover Companion thing. Right. Then after six weeks is over, you are necessarily in a position where either she moves out again and he just, like, harasses her all the time. Because you don't necessarily have to live together in order to be, like, best bros, right? And live each other's pockets. Yeah, and let's be serious. If Sherlock wants to harass Watson for the rest of his life, that's going to happen. Absolutely. Or they're going to find some artificial reason or, like, some sort of non-annoying reason for her to live there, which I have to say i found the setup really really charming like i don't really care about the sober companion thing i'm i feel like that's a pretty good logical reason why she would be there in his life mm -hmm. but i found everything about the sort of setting really really charming i love that crazy old shitty brownstone it's that like they, that's like half deteriorated yeah you're like this could be a really beautiful building but nobody has done anything to it in like 50 years I know, it's wonderful. And the fact that he has, like, the apiary on the roof. Right. Uh, it's fantastic. And, like... And he's writing the book about bees in his yeah, head. Yeah. And all of his crazy bookshelves and just sort of, like, the dilapidated, nutty nature of this house is really charming. Um, and I also loved the closing scene in the episode where they were, like, there were only two pieces of furniture in the room and it was, like, two chairs. Yeah. Watching the Mets game. <laughs> and it was just... They're, the setup is really charming. 
and Johnny Lee Miller and Lucy Liu have an incredibly, I wouldn't say, it by no means is the chemistry as good as what you see in BBC Sherlock. Like, that is the first thing I have to say. Like, yeah. if you're hoping to turn on your television and seeing, like, the same sort of, like, explosive chemical reaction that you got. It's not like that. It's more like a slow burn. It is a very slow burn. And she is, Lucy Liu plays Watson so close to the chest. Yeah, like, no, she does an amazing job. It's so, 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 like, low and very, very subtle. that It's, like, a very different type of chemistry where it's, like, it's more Sherlock encroaching versus the two of them hitting it off perfectly from the beginning. Yeah, like, he does things and she's kind of, like, half drawn in and then just pulls back and is like, no, what the fuck? And he has to really, like, work to pull her out. Yeah, and it's really interesting that, like, okay, so one of the elements in the episode is that there is a point at which Sherlock figures out who the killer is, but isn't able to, like, prove it immediately off the top of his head, basically. Yeah. And he gets really angry, takes her car, Watson's car, (laughs) and rams it into the side of this dude's sports car. And, like, her reaction is so dead. Like, she... Like, no yelling, no screaming, no nothing. She's just absolutely flat. What the fuck have you done? And then later when she thinks that he did it, like, as a way to draw out the killer, and the moment that she realizes that he did it just because he was pissed... Yes! Like, she's not even angry. She's just resigned. She's like, fuck. Jesus. Like, oh, why am I with you? Yeah, like, you are the worst fucking addict in the world! And yet she's like, let's do this. Like, that is, like... Oh, that's why I wish that they had made her former military, right? Because she's just like, shit is happening and I'm just going to deal with it. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I, th- I thought the I thought the one, um, what was another thing that I really, really liked about this? Oh, like my brain just completely went blank there. Yeah, no, um, oh, okay, so one of the things that I thought was hilarious <laughs> is okay. that they basically were dressed the same for most of the episode. <laughs> they had, like, matching outfits on. And I don't know if that was, like, intentional by costuming or if costuming just really likes that style or what. But it was really cute. It was not really cute. I hated every single thing anyone wore in that episode. No, yeah, it was I a wouldn't, complete fashion violation of I my wouldn't eyes. wear any of it. Like, I thought it was hideous. But it was cute that they were dressed the same. What? I don't think so. Are you kidding? They're both wearing, like, identical plaids for, like, half the episode with, like, jeans and jackets and t-shirts. Those are not... No, no. They're both wearing, like, a gray t-shirt with a specific kind of jacket over it and, like, like, identical plaid fabric on the two of them. Like, it was... I don't know. I were all I remember, there are two things that struck me about... Well, that's a lie. Three things that I keenly remember in terms of fashion from that episode. Number one, there is a point at which Lucy Liu is wearing, like, a fucking massive disgusting t-shirt, shirt dress thing with leggings. And, like, I find that visually offensive on a level, like, you can't even comprehend, right? Like, I hate (laughs) that style. Like, I understand that, like, it's quote-unquote, like currently fashionable but i find it vile and i hate it it's like half my wardrobe yeah no mm-hmm. i know you and she i dress like a beret like why like no one should wear berets i don't care if you look cute in it which she did but like you should not wear a beret it's just wrong. <laughs> <clears throat> and the third thing that stuck out about fashion in this episode that i was just like no why did this happen <laughs> it's apparently fucking sherlock holmes in the show is a filthy filthy Boreum Hill hipster or something. Yeah. He was like, he was like, what am I going to wear today? I'm going to wear guinea jeans and like a patterned t-shirt 
with a vest over it. Okay, that vest was fug. That everything he was wearing was fug. Like, li- wait, listeners, there's something you need to know, which is that Prue's wardrobe is like all neutrals with some red, and it's all like really classy or like high-end business mixed with like <laughs> like a beautiful summer dress for the weekends, right? All of my clothes are like what I could afford for $12 and everything has holes in it. So you're See, getting a full spectrum here. I think the, the greatest part about this little story you just told them, right, is that it makes you sound really sad and like you don't have any money for anything in your life. <laughs> you and I both know, you and I both know the reason that none of your clothes like fit you anymore and all of them have holes in them is because you do things like waste all of your money on like gadgets and like an eighth computer you don't need. Uh, I need all of the computers. Okay. Yeah, okay. Like I you don't have enough clothes right. that don't have holes in the boob. I put that dress up on a shelf to fix later. Wow. Really? Yes. <laughs> you couldn't even get through that. <laughs> Sorry. I just I can't really sew, and I don't really care about clothes. I just want them to be like comfortable and moderately attractive, so that I can like go to work and come home and then take them off. That's right. And that is why every time you're at work and are like, ugh, I hate this. Why do all my clothes have holes in them? My sympathy for you is in the negative digits. No, you know what? Your sympathy should be like 100% for me because if the Hoyden lived here as my guide, she would just be fixing that shit. I think that you really overestimate how much the Hoyden is going to darn your clothing. Okay, maybe 20-something. Okay, no. (laughs) What? She tried to walk me through some sewing on Skype once and then I fucked it up. Do you realize that if if 20-something lived there, she she would help me break into your house and burn all your clothes? And then what would I wear? We would sell a computer of yours and buy you new clothes. No. Yeah, see? See? This is why. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The point is, is that the fashion decisions in the show were consistent. Like, it has a style, right? Yeah, we just, As, neither of us likes it. No, I, I think that I hate it much more than, like, I can articulate in words. And I can only hope that as this continues, I will just become blind to it. And everyone will keep wearing leggings. And I'll keep dying on the inside every time I see it. I just ordered some new leggings. They're going to be awesome. Anyways. Yeah. I really enjoyed the opening scene where Joan Watson meets Sherlock for the first time. And you saw the dominatrix walking out. Yeah. I thought that that was really cool. And I liked the fact that they didn't try to make him like a sexless creature. No. And and he's not like ashamed of it. He's just like, my body needs sex sometimes to work. Yeah. And I have to like, it's it's almost like feeding a basic need of the body. And I like that they addressed it, dismissed it, and then like didn't talk about it again. Yeah. And I would have preferred had that been the case throughout the rest of the show. But then at the very end, when he's like in holding from having done the car thing, mm-hmm. she calls him out on it and is like, so the reason that you left London was because of a woman, right? And instantly all I could think was like, ah, oh, damn it, really? Are we doing this again? <laughs> of course we are. Of course we are. It's going to be Irene Adler. Uh, yeah, no, it's... There's no one but Irene Adler. Yeah, but I mean, how are they going to change? Like, the whole point of Irene Adler is that she was a worthy adversary. Oh, we already did this with Scandal and Bohemia. Yeah, no, you just have to leave it. Yeah, it's I guess, like, the same way that I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to form an opinion about the show until I watch it. We're going to have to do the same with 
this inevitable plot arc. Um, well, I was going to say, there's a lot of things that we can expect will happen in elementary, but we just can't make decisions about them until we see how they handle it. Because honestly, I thought the pilot would be a lot worse than it was. And I enjoyed it. I thought that, I thought that, I guess my philosophy on this went as follows. I figured that you would not attempt to make this show unless you thought you had something good on your hands. Yeah. Um, because Sherlock Holmes so classic, whatever, blah, blah, lots of fun. You have to do a good job with it because everyone knows the story. And in order to make it new and interesting, you have to work a little harder. So I figured that it would probably be okay. I didn't think that it would necessarily be something that I would keep watching. But I, having seen the pilot, I've decided that, like, no, this seems really interesting. I'm going to keep going with it for a while at least. Yeah. Um, and it definitely helps that Joan Watson is a lady. Like, that is, I'm not going to lie, like, that is the primary attraction. That's my I'm, main selling point. Like, if she had been played by a dude, I wouldn't be as interested. No, exactly. Um, also, I just fucking love Lucy Liu. No, she's fabulous. She's completely fabulous and fierce. Uh, in terms of stuff that I did not like, my I bet you can guess what my least favorite part of this episode was. Uh, when they reveal that Joan killed a dude? Yeah. I was like, really? Really? Because that is so gruesomely cliche. Yeah, it's like the lamest most weak and half-hearted way that they could get her into this situation. I, I think the particular reason that I was so annoyed by that, too, is that that doesn't even really require deduction, right? Like, that is not something that, like, Sherlock Holmes need to knit together the clues to guess. You could if Google you that. I, having watched, like, more than one hour of television in our lives, are able to figure that out? Like, that's not an interesting mystery. And more than that, I think it's really, you like, you really couldn't come up with anything better than that. Like, why don't you just leave it unanswered? Like, drop in a clue. Let it slowly develop over time. Make that the one maddening thing that Sherlock can't figure out or something, you know? Yeah. It, it was just, it was so dull. Like, when he was going off on her, I was like, oh, really? Please don't let this be it. Like, please, please, please. Please let Lucy let Lucy Lou telegraph that like that was not actually the reason. Yeah, I was she, really hoping that she would be like, uh, wrong. Yeah, exactly. Um, I still am holding out hope that maybe he was. And she's and just that, still so close to the vest that you like don't. Yeah, that she just doesn't want to play this game with him. Like she does not feel like having these sorts of arguments with him. So she's just gonna be like, you know what? If you're gonna be like this, I'm gonna peace out. I think that'd be great. Um, I we can't tell yet if we can trust the writers of this show enough to go there. Yeah, that's true. Um, but I would say that that was the major, the majorly disappointing part of that show. Um, yeah. Everything else is really interesting and fun, and it was very good as a pilot in that it established all the characters. Um, it got us interested in the setup. Uh, it pitched for the, you know, it pitched for the show, and I'm going to watch it going forward. Um, the only disappointing thing was that they resorted to such like a cliched, basically background for women in the show. Not great background for women in the show. Not great. Um, well, I don't I mean, know, like if you think about it, that's just Joan. There's no other women really involved in this episode other than the victim. Well, I was thinking the victim. Like it's really weird that. Okay, so the there was this major plot point of her getting all of that plastic surgery, right? Yes. And essentially it was just because her husband was like, you know what, you would look really beautiful if you like changed everything about you and became this <laughs> other woman. And she did it. Yeah. And you're like, why? Like, I can't, I can't even, if someone were like, you should have red hair and get rid of the mole on your face and change your nose and your eyes and everything and just be a completely different beautiful woman, I'd be like, well, fuck you. I think that, <clears throat> I mean, like, I think that 
I can see that as a plausible thing that would potentially happen. Um, Because we're all, like, at the mercy of our own insecurities, right? I guess, but I can see, like, a little bit of plastic surgery to change a few things, but I don't see her, like... She literally looked like she was played by two different actresses. Yeah, and I'm sure she was. I mean, the problem is, is just how... It's a Sherlock Holmes mystery, right? There's like a li- there's like a necessary level of implausibility. I guess. It just bothered me. No, understandable. Like, that was one of the things where I was like, that's definitely like the weakest plot point, right? Because I don't think that they needed to go that far. I think that if the whole point, so part of the deal is that the person who murders our victim has um, obsessive tendencies, like serial killer tendencies, and his particular type is women with like red hair or very attractive and buxom, right? Yeah. Like the the actress who plays our victim is really pretty anyways. Like, I feel like the thing is if they hadn't emphasized like the buxom and like the facial reconstruction shit like that, you wouldn't have needed it. You know, all he could have done is convinced her that he really likes redheads. And I frankly think it would be like, I wouldn't like if my husband really wanted me to like dye my hair for like a creepy sexual fantasy once in a while, like, I'd do it. It wouldn't really be any skin off my back. Like, yeah, it's not a big deal. It's not a huge deal. Like you can wash it out. And I think that that would have been much more plausible than having massive reconstructive plastic surgery. It just felt like they were trying too hard. Yeah. It's really difficult writing mysteries though. It is. But I mean, like, do you know how many mystery shows there are on television? Yeah. But how many of them are actually mysterious? I guess, but I mean, if you're going to get a British actor, you could probably get a pretty good British mystery writer, of which there are a lot. Okay, first of all, I'd have to state for the record that not all good mystery writers are British. No, obviously, but I mean, Britain produces a lot of good mysteries that are mysterious. So does America. America also produces like 1 million CSI, SVU. I think the other problem is here that it's not even just... The mystery part is just that they have to make it difficult enough to figure out that you don't get it right off the top. Right. But easy enough to figure out that you can understand it once they do. Right. Which I think is like the major difficulty here. Which I know, I I agree with you though. I called total bullshit on that like plastic surgery thing. I just, I think my default is to call bullshit on all like, <laughs> to call bullshit on all mystery resolutions just because they're so implausible and ridiculous. <laughs> they are. And that doesn't, that's not limited to, like, BBC, that's not limited to, like, BBC dramas or, like, television shows on the U.S. Like, I call bullshit on a ton of the mysteries from the Moffat and Gata Sherlock, and I called like, bullshit on yeah. most crime shows. Most crime shows. Most crime sh- Okay, yes. Admittedly, there's a lot of terrible-ass mystery writing out there. But yeah. there's also a lot of good mystery writing, and I think that if you're going to make a Sherlock show and you're invested in making it good, you want to go out and you want to find someone who can write a really good mystery, and instead they got someone who can write something that is trying too hard. Like... Yeah, I think those are, I think, I think probably like there's an incredibly difficult time finding that writer, right? Because being able to write for television is probably a different skill set than being able to write a mystery. Yeah, definitely. I just, um, what I'm, I, I, I'm kind of hopeful, even though I doubt that this will ever happen, that they change up some of the things once the show actually starts. Cause what we've seen is an unaired pilot, right? Yeah. So if they could like, 
maybe fix some of the costuming and writing choices. <laughs> I have hopes, even though they will be dashed immediately. Like I don't think like the costuming I find offensive, but it's fine. It's not going to like ruin my enjoyment of the show. I wish the one thing that I really wish they would reconsider doing is the Joan Watson backstory. Like that is not a quite. I think the thing is like that is not a mystery you need to resolve now. Yeah. You know? Give yourself some time to think of a better reason why she would be here. Because I, like, the one that you have already is so tired. If it turned out, like, partway through that she was actually in Witsec or something, I would just be, like, mind blown. Yes, that would be awesome. And then we would, like, eat a million crows. Right? The same yeah. way that we had to regarding Stephen Thompson's writing. Yes. <laughs> season two of Sherlock. We're all like, fuck the blind, oh my god. <laughs> good he actually knows what he's doing oh my god um yeah i mean that would be great that would be awesome if she turned out to be in witsec right and the great mystery is that sherlock has to solve this crazy mystery in order to keep joan from having to be witsec again right that's what oh, i would do baller so baller <sighs> okay they should hire us. we should write the show we should totally write this show that'll never happen yeah of course not <laughs> The two of us are, like, the least equipped to write for television ever. Yeah, considering neither of us has any training in that. Well, it's not even so much that. I did try to ever tell you about my one attempt to write a script with Lepagus. <laughs> no. She just, like, burst into hysterical laughter. Because she was just like, okay, I, re- I always knew that you were a control freak, but I never knew how bad. Because you've seen scripts, right? How it's just, like... Yeah, no, like, it's very sparse. With some stage direction. Yeah. I had, like, two lines of dialogue and, like, a, a no joke, a page and a half of, like, scene description <laughs> and, yeah, stage direction. And she just, like, went into hysterics about it. And I was like, if you don't do it this way, it won't make sense. <laughs> I've given up. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, maybe you shouldn't do the writing. Maybe you should just do, like, the rough outline with details. I think it would hurt me not to be in absolute control. <laughs> Oh, okay. We should we should move on because we have a lot to cover. Uh, we have like a bunch of confessions that I want to get we out of the way. Confessions, um, but yeah. Closing thoughts on Elementary. Um, good. I like it. Needs work. You know, standard. Yeah, I think it's a. I think it's a fairly standard pilot. I would say that it's a slightly better than average pilot. Yeah. It- Really put a lot of work into it. I'm curious to see where it goes. I'm curious to see what version or what changes they make when they actually air it for real. Totally. Um, but yeah, that's it. Uh, okay, yes. Moving on to Phantom Confessions. Before we do, we have to say that due to some like completely unforeseen and uncontrollable like real life shenaniganry. But good shenaniganry. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Shenaniganry. Good or bad. Um, this is actually going to be our last episode of the season. We'll miss you while we're away, but we'll be back in the new year at some point. We will. We'll be back in the new year, and we'll also be crowning our SLO winner from 2012 um, in the new year. But it's basically just we took a look at it logistically, and it's going to be banana pancakes for the rest of this year, essentially. And I know that you are sitting there thinking, but it's September. How can you already know it's going to be banana pancakes for three solid months? Trust me, listeners. Yeah. It is be some banana pancakes action with walnuts. It's going to be so crazy. Like, guys, if you notice that it's, like, two weeks into September and we've missed two episodes, one of us works in education. Like, we're just fucked for the next three months. So, so, so fucked. So fucked. Anyways. <sighs> yes. Confessions. Okay. 
Okay, so our first confession. Regarding a confession on the anniversary episode, one listener said she was distanced from fandom. I can relate. I live in a remote area in a remote state, and I'm sure I'm one of five fangirls. I think it is hard to bust in on what looks like a tight-knit community, the fear of rejection. I'd like to think the listener was getting to that point. Sometimes it seems daunting to comment or reach out, and sure, insert this is totally my issue here. I also think that listening to the podcast is really helping with that. There's a huge community I never knew about. It's true, and I would have to say, I bet you there are a lot more than five fangirls. Yeah, you know what? There's, like, stealth fangirls all over the place. It's true. Like, you never know. And then there are people who are, like, towing the line, who, like, really want to go fanish. Yeah. But, yeah, like, the minute you give them a little push, they're over it. (laughs) Totally. Um, Okay, number two. Well, back to number one for a second. Like, welcome to fandom. Have fun. Be awesome. Um, (laughs) Welcome back to number two. About a year ago, one of my author friends asked me to beta a Big Bang for her. I said, sure. She sent me a fic, and I promptly forgot about it, completely for various real-life reasons. To this day, I'm actively avoiding her because I'm embarrassed about flaking on her like that. I still haven't read the fic. I don't really know what to say to that, other than that's super, super asshole-ish. Like, how do you forget that you agreed to beta something for someone? Yeah, I don't know. But I think the best thing to do would be, like, apologize and carry on. I suppose. I mean, the thing is that how much would an apology help, I suppose? I I guess it depends. Like, if you would like to renew having a relationship with this person, then, yeah, definitely apologize. If not, it might be better just to, like, you know what, I'm going to let that one go. Yeah, but, I mean, okay, I, obviously it's too late for this, but guys, if you don't think you can do something or if someone is like, hey, can you look at this? Okay, if they're going to ask you to beta something big, tell them, if I don't get back to you within like X time frame, get back to me because I might forget. Yeah. And if you don't think that you can do it, be like, I only made it through a third of it. I'm sorry. I can't do the rest. Hopefully you can find someone else to look over it. And like, they'll probably understand because we all have real life commitments. Exactly. It's not a huge deal as long as you disclose the reality of the situation. It's like when you're going to be late to a party. Just tell people that you're going to be late. Yeah. I mean, I I sort of don't get that one. It was sitting in your email. How do you forget? I Whatever. Moving on. There's a follow-up to it. <laughs> there is a follow-up to it. 2A, the follow-up to it. Same thing happened to me. I'm guessing this is a different anonymous confessor. A year of hardcore avoidance, but then she went through some horrible, horrible things, and when I got back in touch... She was just so happy to have a friend back. It was all water under the bridge. I'm sure your author friend just wants to know you're there for her and will love to have you back. Um, I don't know if I completely agree with that. Prue would be pretty pissed. I don't know how I would feel because I don't know. I, I mean, I think it, it, it goes into it goes into like my entire discussion from earlier podcasts where I think different people have different relationships with their betas. Like, if I honestly, like, I think that this situation would have like it would have literally been impossible for it to happen to me. Because the people who I send my stories to beta, I talk to every day. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I don't really have a beta, but the Hoyden and 20-something look over my stuff, and they're just, like, back to me within, like, a very short time, like, that day or that week. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's very different circumstances, and I have to assume that if it's someone who sent you something and you just forgot about it, especially, like, you, I can't imagine you guys were that close, Yeah, because otherwise you would have been talking to them all the time. Like, I'm literally emailing, like, our group of friends every 20 minutes. Yeah, like, we're, you're in constant contact sometimes. And so, I don't know, I, maybe she would be really thrilled to have you back. Like, she might still be angry, understandably. Like, 
play it by ear. Like, if you miss having your friend around, then yeah, definitely worth apologizing and hoping that she's just going to be like, you know what? That's fine. I would rather have you as a friend than be mad about something that happened, like, forever ago. But if you think that you're more like fanish acquaintances than fanish besties, maybe just yeah. carry on with your life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Number three. Mm-hmm. Confession. Unless I know and really like the author or a particular fic has been recommended by someone whose opinion I respect, I'm highly unlikely to ever read a fic that isn't rated explicit or NC-17. Every once in a while, I'm in the mood for a well-written, family-friendly story, but let's be serious, mostly I just want porn, regardless of the quality of writing. I have a file on my computer named something innocuous, full of HTML files with perfectly innocent names that upon opening turn out to be plot what plots, the majority of them horribly written and full of the things that freak people out about fandom. Nodding, Mpreg, Dubcon, Underage, you name it. I've always felt sort of sorry for the people that spend countless hours crafting brilliant works of art. Character studies that expose the inner workings of a, of a minor character's mind, passages of poetic prose that would make Shakespeare weep with joy, intense action scenes that keep the reader riveted for hours, only to receive a fifth of the hits of an unbated 1,000-word Sentinel AU drabble wherein Eames rapes Arthur and forces a bond on him. A dog returns to its vomit, Okay. <laughs> So, dear Slash reporters, keep wrecking fic. I'll never discover the good stuff without prodding. Wow. <laughs> wow. I to that. I mean, I don't think it's particularly surprising, but, like, I wasn't that always, like, the old, like, adage, if it wasn't smut, like, no one was going to read it. That's why tons of people write shitty smut, because they don't actually know how to write it, but they want readership. Yeah. Well, I mean... Like, a large chunk of fandom is just porn, but I guess I don't have a similar problem, right? Like, I read a lot of plot what plots, but for the most part, I just want, like, a really long, drawn-out romance with lots of pining. Yeah, but that's specific to you. Yeah, but I know that there are other people out there. Like, I'd say that's, like, I don't know, 15% of fandom or something. Oh, well, yeah, I mean, I just remember really vividly in my early days of fandom, um, people constantly telling me, like, yeah, no, it's great, but whatever, but people really only read fanfic for smut. Yeah, I, uh, the most recent thing, someone tagged it on Pinboard, and they were like, this is good, uh, there's no porn. <laughs> that was the wreck. That's always the wreck. And I was like... Do you know, like, what percentage of my fan... So, like, any of my fanfic that doesn't have explicit sex in it, I, I wager there's a minimum of, like, five comments being like, wow, I'm surprised, I really like this, even though I never read anything that doesn't have, that isn't NC-17, you know? So, and that's still, that's day, you know, that's not like 10 years ago. That's still a common sentiment. Yeah. And okay, admittedly, I have a large file on my pin board of like terrible ass porn, like terrible. I've tagged a lot of things as private because I'm like, this is the worst porn ever. I'm saving it forever. Yes. It's a weakness. Yeah. Clearly. Although the the part of this is interesting. Feeling sorry for people who work really hard to do write really excellent stuff that's non NC seventeen. I wonder if that's still true that non NC seventeen fics get less hits than explicit ones. Because I I mean for me, the rating is never a draw or a dissuasion to reading it. No, I, I barely even look at it. Yeah, so I'm really curious. Um, I look at the summary and the warnings. Yeah, and the title. So let us know, yeah. supporters, if that's still something that plays a major role into your decision as to whether or not to read the story. Totally. Next secret. 
During my sophomore and junior years of college, I slipped into a really intense depression where I could barely get out of bed and function. Reading fanfic was the only thing that put a smile on my face at all, and it, but it still wasn't enough to actually lift me out of the hole I was in. Surprise, surprise. I failed six classes in that time frame and eventually dropped out of school because I stayed in bed reading SGA fic on my laptop rather than face the world. I got better eventually. I think that that is something that is probably more common than you would think. Yeah, definitely. Whenever I'm depressed, I basically just stay home and read fan fiction. And I haven't been that depressed. Like, that sounds really intense and painful, and I'm sorry you went through it. But, you know, fandom is like a nice escape for most of us. Yeah, it's something that's very, very much outside of our own realm of problems, but so wholly a world unto itself that it's very easy to kind of disappear into it as a safe place not to have to think about your own issues. But I also feel that at least I have seen cases where it's not really being used as sort of like a pressure release valve, more as like a permanent escape mechanism, which can be very, very problematic. Yeah, I think the trick is, so when I get depressed now, right, Mm -hmm. I might start with some fan fiction or whatever, but eventually I just have to like go outside. And I don't even really like nature, but going outside, it really makes a difference. And I have to like make myself go see friends and things because you need like something in the real world to ground you. Yeah. I mean, it's the whole like, it's the whole emotional equivalence of like fake it till you make it. Sometimes you have to like fake being functional until your body gets into that mindset and you actually are. Totally. Although obviously we're not clinicians and everybody has a different diagnosis and best way of attacking it but no I that is a story anon that we have heard many times before and I think that a lot of people have kind of gone to fandom when they needed someplace where they didn't have to think about everything else totally um second part of the secret is not really a terrible secret, is I'm accepting a fanish adjacent friend into being a hockey fan by sending her NHL RPS epic excerpts in text messages. Chicago Bureau doesn't know it, but she's helping me create another Blackhawks fan. She will be ecstatic to hear that. <laughs> Chicago Bureau is thrilled. <laughs> Chicago Bureau fucking loves spreading the Blackhawks love. It's true. It's true. She went to that convention. Mm-hmm. Okay, five. Years ago, maybe 10? God, I can't believe it's been that many. The two of us were in the same mailing list-based RPG. I had such an enormous crush, it must have been obvious. I wasn't subtle. This person was hilarious and charming and kind, and writing our adventures back and forth was basically my favorite thing in the whole world. Long story short, we both got banhammered for reasons that I'm pretty sure were bullshit, but hey, we were totally warned ahead of time that the mod enjoyed power in using it like that, and lost touch shortly after that. I don't know this person's name, or if they're still in fandom, or even still alive, but they meant a lot to me, and I don't think I ever told them that. Even now, years and years later, every once in a while, I still wish we'd kept in touch. One of my only fandom regrets. I would say that if this sounds like you, or if you want to send in more details to the Anon Confession email, we would try to hook you guys up. But man, I'm like depressed and saddened to myself with our attempts to like facilitate vanished friendship and love. (laughs) Yeah, it's the last one didn't work out and we were so sad. All of us were just like, you know, watching that email thread obsessively. And then when it turned out that they were two different missed connections lovers so heartbreaking i was like depressed for a day and a half and i'm (laughs) not even involved in the relationships we're all really really genuinely sad about it yeah (laughs) oh but you know 
keep keep trying and if you really want to find that person again like if you ever really decide that you want to do it just do it go find them yeah and let us know if we can help so. yes number six I hate every single shipping portmanteau I've ever encountered with the irrational theory of a thousand rabid bears. My first fandom way back in the day designated pairings as character A, character B. The character's name who came first was on top and the second character is on the bottom. When I see pairings expressed any other way, it irritates me. Not enough that I won't read the fic, but enough that it leaves a quiet sense of dissatisfaction that lingers after the most well-written fics. I don't really care which character does the topping in most cases. I just want the character whose topping to be the first one named the pairing designation. Oh my god, I totally sympathize. It really bothers me when people write Styles Derek and they mean Derek Styles. You realize this is like... Listen, I just want there to be like a standard way of formatting things so that you know exactly what you're getting. Because sometimes I go into a story and I'm like... No, they just listed it wrong, and then it turns out that Styles is on top, which I never want to read. Like, not ever. Not ever, ever, ever. You can't make me. <laughs> I'm disclaiming this because I'm not part of this, so everyone who writes really offended, angry email on the subject can send it directly to Moonclats and not me. But um, I have to say that, like, this entire, like, ship name thing and, like, order pairing stuff is just completely beyond me. Like... I don't know why it bothers people. Like, if you, like, that's something that I don't even check. The same way that I don't check, like, the rating on a story. Um, And it goes back to the whole thing where it's like, okay, if you find the story, you don't like where it's going, back button. Don't keep reading it. Like, what is your deal? And But that's, like, separate from the actual secret issue, which is just that the, I guess, like, not naming it or tagging it the way that you would be used to or preferred is like leaving a lingering aftertaste to dissatisfaction like I don't really know how to address that other than I find that like slightly weird that it would be that upsetting to you but you know what I think this is though which is clearly the best indicator that you're nuts no here hold on this might be like okay so for me a pairing is almost like a warning on the story and I know that you don't care about warnings so like it wouldn't even affect you in any way but for me like I don't know it's like seeing water sports in the warnings area right I'm like I don't want to read water sports I also don't want to read styles on top so I, I guess I understand that but this goes to like a really deep like chasm of par- like between people who want warnings on fix for legitimate or otherwise reasons and people who like hate providing them because it ruins the fucking story right like if i am writing a story like i don't want to have to warn for something that like you will get in the narrative flow of it and i completely understand that there are reasons people want to be warned about certain things that happen in stories but if it like but when you go to a fucking bookstore and you pick up a book like unless the summary actively tells you you don't have warnings on them right so, like, you page through and you take a chance. And, like, if it re- if you read it and it upsets you, that sucks. But, like, it's the same, like, I have the same philosophy toward fanfic. Like, I, like, if other people who, like, wreck my stories or, like, link my stories to friends want to put warnings on them, like, you are 100%, like, in the right. You should do that. Like, if you think that there's something in it that's going to, like, upset people or, like, be ultra or something, like, yes, tell people. But I don't want to do that because I think it's going to fuck up, like, the experience of reading my story. I'm not saying that everyone should have to do this or that it's necessary or whatever. I'm just saying I think we can just agree that the point is this bothers some people and there's nothing you can do about it and we're sorry that you feel that way. Yes, that is true. 
we have clearly like polar only, opinions. That's like the only conclusion that can really be reached on the subject. Yeah, otherwise we would spend like two hours talking about that. And believe me, we have. We've done just, it before. Mm, mm. I know. Let's move on. Okay. Number seven. As much as I would love if MK considered me a friend, I do not believe we are the group of people she was thinking of on the previous episode. Hilariously, this means that multiple groups of people, independently of each other, have referred to Prue as God best. Not best. You guys should live better. That is hilarifying. You guys should definitely live better. (laughs) I'm flattered, but you can do better, really. (laughs) Let's let's do number eight. Follow up to previous ep's dirty mouth, not kinky confession. Anon, I completely, and this is the... Anon, who has garnered a reputation for being a kink master, but is actually quite vanilla. Um, Anon, I completely empathize and can do you one better. I write a lot of smut in fandom and have gotten a lot of positive feedback on it, but I am sometimes worried about my fandom reputation if it were widely known that I am a virgin. I know that such a small percentage of us have real-life experiences being a gay man, but I know the reality is that some people would straight up refuse to read my smut if they knew. I'm not ashamed of being a virgin, since it's my body and my choice to wait for the right person, but I don't want people judging my writing for anything other than its own merit or lack thereof. Yeah. I don't think it's anybody's fucking business, yo. No, me either. And you know what? Okay, this is like an old conversation that I think we've had before, but you don't have to have done something to write about it convincingly. Yes, this is an argument. Oh, man, I once had like the most hilarious debate with someone because every time someone thinks about the phrase writing advice, they keep thinking back to little women and like write what you know. It's like you don't have to, you know what, because writing is about imagination. And if you have a good imagination and you do a little research, you're fine. Yeah, write what you know is like the worst fucking writing advice of all time. If everyone wrote what they knew, we would be writing really fucking boring stories. Exactly. Completely excruciatingly boring stories. And the people who are limited to writing what they know are extremely limited. You know, like the part of the trick of writing is being able to write what you don't know. Exactly. That differentiates talent. Yeah. Or write what you don't know in a manner that's convincing. So. Yeah. Don't worry. We've got your back. We do. We're with you 100%. Number nine, MK. Uh, Okay. So this is the the final follow-up to the previous missed connection that we've been talking about for a couple weeks. But the original confessor says, I'm sorry, other Anon, but I'm not who you're looking for. I've been dying to get on the internet so that I could check this ever since someone told me you had replied. I'm so sorry, and I really hope that you find who you're looking for. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Just like all the tears in the world. So fucking upset. (laughs) Uh, I still believe in love. I still believe that, like, somewhere out there, Anon, it's going to work out for you. Both of you. Yeah, every Anon. This is some, like, a classic Shakespearean shit right here. It's going to happen. We're just not at the epilogue yet. That's right. That's right. We have to hold out hope. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, number 10. Um, We're going to preface this by saying this is fucking creepy. No one do this. Don't Um, do this. Number 10. I confess that I figured out where Benedict Cumberbatch lives, and sometimes I type the address into Google Maps so I can pull up Street View and stare at his front door. God, someone take the internet away from me. Seriously, guys, if you know where this person is, do that, because that is fucked up. I think this might be, like, okay, normally when people are like, I'm taking a break from the internet for, like, a month or something, I'm like, God, why would you do that? I think you might need to do that. Yeah, either that or this is, like, a troll confession, which I hope it's a troll confession. 
Yeah. But if not, like, you probably need to get off the internet for a while. You need to, like, take a break and, I don't know, change hobbies for just a while until you get your head back on straight. Because if nothing else, like, even aside from the fact that this is really creeptastic behavior, um, it's got to be upsetting your, you. Like, this can't be making you feel good. Yeah. Like, like you must just be making yourself more upset, right? And that, yeah. that's so, not like, good for you. Love yourself, you know? Like, do something else. Like, don't think about this for a while. Like, just get it out of your head. Like, go enjoy other things and stay away from Google Maps. It's like a breakup. You just need to, like, break up with Benedict Cumberbatch for a while. Yes, and you need to make a clean break and then return once you are sure that you've won the breakup, which is the most important part of any breakup. Always win the breakup. Naturally. Okay, number 11. Number 11. I hate that people these days have conversations on Twitter instead of in LJ comments. Living in a time zone 12 hours different to the U.S. means that by the time I see a conversation, it's already done with. It's lonely out here without always being the awkward latecomer to cold conversations. Um, I both sides of this, but I think that I actually really enjoy Twitter conversations because I, I, the old way of doing them where you were having conversations in LJ comments always seemed a little voyeuristic to me. There's that, and there's also, I just feel like LJ is mostly dead. Yes. And I don't really have any interest in being on LJ. Like, my account expires in five days or something, and I don't think... Like, the only reason I would renew it is for comment tracking on kink memes. Yeah. And I always, I come up to, like, the day of that it's going to expire, and I think about this, and it's been for, like, two years that I've been like, oh, crap, that's the only reason that I want a paid account. Yeah. Otherwise, like, I haven't posted on there other than to be like, hey, guys, there's something happening. It's over here on my Dreamwidth or Twitter or whatever. I don't know. Um, I like having Twitter conversations. I don't think that it's the ideal medium for a conversation, but... It's No, I mean, I think that my major problem with Twitter conversations is always the length restriction um, in terms of writing comments back and forth. But in terms of actual, like, having conversations, I feel like it works really well because... It's basically text messaging. Yeah, because, I mean, uh, this may just be me, but when I'm having a conversation with someone, I don't necessarily, like, want everyone in on it. Right, and at least this way, because you have the, like, at whoever, at whoever... Only the people who are already friends with those people would see it? Yeah. Yeah. No. But I guess it is an issue if it's, like, a general Spanish conversation and everyone can join in, but if you're not in that time zone, you miss it. So that, that is isolating. Yes. But again, like you said, it's not, like, a perfect medium. No, we, I don't think we have a new perfect medium for Spanish discussion. It's going to be a while until we do. Yeah, the current trend is not really good at facilitating that kind of thing. Okay, number 12, which is really interesting, and I think it's going to spark some discussion. Yeah. I feel like I really don't deal well with negative feedback. This is true in my life in general. I'm kind of an arrogant jerk. Well, particularly with my writing, I can handle constructive criticism. I mean, that's why I have betas. But when it's one of the, this story sucks and you're a terrible person kind, hyperbole, aiming the ire at the storyteller rather than the story, I can't help but take it personally. Just recently, I posted a story that got tons of hits and overwhelmingly positive comments, and one really bad one full of question marks and exclamation points and how dare yous, accusing me of being mean to the characters, etc. I don't agree with the review, and intellectually, I think this is just a case of the reader getting a little too emotionally invested in their own interpretation of the characters. But emotionally, it was like getting slapped and still bothering me. I know the standby advice is to ignore bad reviews, but all the same, the strength of my reaction makes me feel like I'm being childish, getting disproportionately upset because someone was mean to me. D 
do you deal with, how do you deal with negative reactions to your work without feeling like a jackass one way or the other? I think that the first thing that you need to like recognize when this situation happens is that this sentence is telling. Um, I feel like I'm being childish, getting disproportionately upset because someone was mean to me. Like, what is the definition of disproportionately upset when someone is mean to you? You know, like, I feel like every single writer who has like a deep emotional connection with their work, who's like put a lot into it. If someone is mean to that work, you're going to be upset. You know, that's like on some level, that's a creation of yours. Like treat it like a child. If someone was really mean to your kid, would you be getting disproportionately upset? Yeah. And we probably wouldn't be calling it disproportionate either. Now, whether or not the criticism is valid or whether or not the criticism is coming from a source that you should care is critiquing you is a completely separate issue, but I don't think you should worry about feeling upset by it. You know, like that is a natural, understandable reaction. Like if you were able to just like pull as a cucumber, shrug it off, like you should bottle that and sell it because I don't think anybody is ever not disproportionately upset when someone says something mean and like oddly confrontational to you. Yeah. Though I will say like, I always find it interesting when, okay, so let's say that you write something and you get a, a comment that is like, oh, this was great except for the following problems. You're like, oh, maybe those were problems, maybe they weren't, but it's too late to fix them, so fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a bit of an asshole. But the ones that they're like, you're terrible because you were mean to the characters, those you can just write off, guys, and just, like, laugh at them. Like, honestly laugh at them because, you know what? Bad things happen to characters in fiction. That's why it's fiction. They have to go through some kind of problem or stress in order to make it interesting i think that there's a difference though like if it's just that the plot was like something just unfortunate happened to a character in the plot that's one thing but what if like the argument is that like you're just beating up on a character because you hate them like that's a completely different thing well in that case the reader should have just failed out when they realized they didn't like it right but this isn't so much a discussion of like yeah the proper way to, like, read a story, the proper way to, like, react to someone's negative reaction. And, I mean, yes, the standard by advice is to ignore bad reviews, and I stick by that. But I think the tertiary, like, the secondary advice is that not to feel bad when you get upset. Like, I think that that's, like, a really natural reaction. It's and, totally. Like, when, yeah, like, when I get, like, asshole emails, like, you guys all hear about it. Yeah, no, we read them, and then we make fun of that person. Yeah, because, I mean, you have to have some way to, like, exercise your demons. Um, and whether, like, you can't do it publicly because getting into an argument with someone who, like, dislikes your writing is just a one-way street down a highway to, like, oh my god, you don't want this action bill, right? And you're gonna wind up on Fandom Wink. Like, that's exactly where you want to be right now? Exactly. So, I mean, just feel bad. Like, let yourself feel bad for a while, you know? Like, and then get bored with feeling bad and move on. I don't think that you should worry about feeling disproportionately upset about it. No. And we all have, like, no matter how old we are, we're all allowed to be a little childish. Uh, yeah. Um, We are artistes, after all. (laughs) You might be an artiste. I'm just some punk-ass kid. Okay. (laughs) Some punk-ass. Some punk-ass. Um, someone did send a follow-up which was, want some unsolicited advice from another Anon. If you can't ignore it, do the things that will make you feel better. I always show those types of comments to my friends, and we laugh about it privately. I know some people have also locked their journals so they can enjoy fandom without the assholes, and I think that's okay as well. Do whatever makes you happy. Yeah, agreed. And can I just say, I think it's amazing that, like, people are logging into the Confessions account and responding to other confessions. Yeah, yeah. It is weird. 
Although, please, for the love of God, guys, do not turn the email account to a weird anon meme. Oh, God. Yeah, don't do that. But we are, like, super enjoying it. Yeah, this stuff is all cool. Like, when you guys are nice to each other and awesome, that's awesome. Yeah, we want to keep it, like, a positive space. (laughs) A positive, safe space. (laughs) All right, so this is the last confession. And we actually had, like, seven responses to this one inside the email account. But... I can't read all of them because most of them were, like, just agreed, basically. Yeah. And seriously, there were a lot. But I'm going to read it. So the original confession is, Unlike almost everyone else, I lost interest in Teen Wolf at about the time they had a Dylan and Hecklin cuddling on a boat for Teen Choice Award thing. It's not that I don't like fan service. I do. And I absolutely do not begrudge Jeff Davis and co. everything doing everything they can to promote the show, especially when it seems to be working. Interest in Teen Wolf has hit a fever pitch lately, and good for them. It's just that it made me feel more than a bit like livestock being led to the slaughter, if you know what I mean. I firmly believe that you don't choose the fandom, the fandom chooses you. But when it seems like the fandom chose me on purpose, with calculation and tongue firmly in cheek, I ran away as hard and as fast as I could. I don't want to be assessed and crunched into a number by my fandom. I don't want my fan service to have so much guile. I still haven't decided if that makes me smart or a spoil sport, but either way, it killed me. It killed a lot of the enjoyment for me. And this confession was about queer baiting, by the way, guys, which was a phrase used in the subject line. Well, I think you need to get some context on this in case people aren't in Teen Wolf and don't know the specific references here. Right, okay, so in Teen Wolf, guys, the pairing that is the most popular is Derek and Styles, who are not canonically gay but have, you know, great tension, etc., and Jeff Davis spends a lot of time talking to the Derek Styles fans on Twitter and on Tumblr and, you know, insinuating that maybe stuff would happen in later seasons, whatever. So the Teen Choice Awards come up, and the actors who play Derek and Styles were on, uh, like, a small yacht in a harbor, and they were doing a promo trying to get people to vote for Teen Wolf in one of the categories. And they basically cuddled up together and made jokes about being on a ship And uh, how if you voted for them and they won, maybe you would get more gay-ish content of a Derek and Styles variety later in the show. Right. Um, And most of fandom was like, holy fuck, yes. But some people... Especially you, because you and Kate both committed voter fraud to vote for them. uh, Yeah, obviously. I like to support that action. But understandably, some people were upset because they were like, you can't just... I don't know, pretend to do this and to kind of like tease people about how much they want this Derek and Styles or the gay content in a show or how much they want Slash to be on television canonically just to, I don't know, increase viewership. And I get it. That's, it's not the best thing they've ever done, but I enjoyed it a lot. And so I don't have a problem with it, but I understand why people do. Right. Um, do you find, like, that sort of behavior is problematic in general versus, like, just in this one case? Um, I don't actually have a problem with it because I think if they're acknowledging that Slash and, you know, that people want gay characters on television, like, canonical gay characters with a gay romance. Right. I think it's actually great that they're acknowledging it. We can't, like, this is another, like, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good thing, right? Like, they're not there yet. They're still working on it. Hollywood is, like, decades behind actual society. And I think you just have to, like, help them move forward. Right. I'm not saying, like, write Jeff Davis letters and tell him to, like, make it happen or else. I'm just saying, like, you know, he's clearly somewhat interested, at least. And I think that's great. 
I, yeah, I mean, I have to say, I don't actually have any feelings on the specific instance of this because I'm not obviously like in that fandom or too much aware of what's going on overall. Says the but girl who is now thanked in like three Teen Wolf stories and an NHL RPS. That was like the weird thing. We have to discuss that because this has been a very odd, odd fucking <laughs> <laughs> series of like me checking stuff out. Um, but I do have to say that I think that to some extent, um, the queer baiting or whatever feels oddly insulting and irritating. Like I pointed this out when I did, um, my massive rambling ass review of Scandal in Belgravia, where during that episode of Sherlock, they kept hanging a lantern on the fact that the two of them are codependent and everyone kept calling them gay. Right. And I was like, okay, guys, this is really like, I don't know if those are purposeful shout outs to fandom, but I mean, whether or not they're purposeful shout-outs to fandom or whether or not they're just side commentary on the perceived homoeroticism on the show, like, don't do that, right? Like, nut up or shut up. Because there was so much of that that was, like, unnecessary. Like, it was literally, like, I could not think of a reason that it needed to be there in the discussion other than as sort of, like, a teehee, like, we know what's going on thing. Um, I don't know about the specific circumstances in Teen Wolf, but I feel like when it goes overboard on that, I do find it sort of irritating. Yeah, I would say that there's, like, you know, a good zone for this, and then there's, like, crossing the line. Yeah. Uh, It just depends on you, where you feel that line is personally. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we did have, like, seven responses to this in the email, so clearly a lot of people feel this way. Yeah. So if you do feel this way, you are not alone, listener. You are not alone. Yeah. Uh, Do you want to uh, talk about your awesome beta-ing recently? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's... There's not really much to say, except for the fact that, like, I'm now hilariously attached to a number of, like, fandoms and sh- things that I, like, want nothing to do with, frankly. <laughs> so, what was it? Uh, did you do one for K- for 20-something? I did. I I did, like, a, I did, like, a quick, like, is this realistic beta for, right, for so... 20-something's NHL RPS fic, and then I recipe, well, I partially recipe baited your fic because you got impatient just posted it it was like midnight and i was full of soon tofu and i was like fuck everything i'm posting it okay and you did one for the hoyden right did i do one for the hoyden i don't think it's one no okay i think it was you and kate so it's only two so far but it is hilarious to you know i was like ha the shame now you are thanked in teen wolf and nhl rps which you know what i'm gonna live with because at least i haven't written teen wolf or nhl rps uh, whatever. I'm super proud of that story. It's awesome. <laughs> As you should be. All right. Does this wrap us up for the year? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, keep sending oh us stuff, guys, because we're going to be back after January. We're not sure when, but like after January. Yeah, definitely. And we'll be doing more podcasting and it'll be great. We will be doing more podcasting. It will be great. And it's possible we may have to rename one of the HQs. Yes. I know. So strange. So fucking weird. (laughs) Are you excited yet, guys? I bet you're excited. Okay. I think that does it for us for this year. Thank you guys for listening. You were awesome, as per usual. We will be carting through all of your horrific SLOs to determine who is the most worthy. Yes. And (laughs) remember, we said that that person would get a t-shirt with a picture drawn on it by London HQ. Yes. Well, sketched and designed by London HQ, Vector designed by... 
<laughs> yeah, it's it's a team effort that we're going to make you a t-shirt, so be really amped. And then right. never wear it in public. Never. Never wear it in public. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that does it for us this year. Guys, it was fall. We will see you on the flip side of 2013. Bye! Bye-bye! Are you being murdered? Is that what's happening? No. Uh, can we pause for a second? I have to go to the bathroom. Yep. Okay. You didn't even say potty break. I'm impressed. I know. It's the first time.